On today's episode, we are speaking to Nick Dummer, the business and legal advisor for the Association of Photographers. We're talking about terms, contracts, cost of business, you know, all that really sexy stuff. If Even if you're a seasoned pro needing a refresh or someone who's just getting into it, this is a super useful chat. We really appreciate Nick coming to chat with us. We hope you enjoy. Boom, we're on. We are hey, on. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Sat in the, um, sat in the studio staring up at the skylight that tells me it's miserable outside and autumn has finally arrived it's grim there's no there's no other way for it it word for it it is absolutely i looked out the window this morning and realized i hadn't cleaned my gutters and they were all overflowing because of the rain and i thought you know what 2020 it's just been such a great year so far the fact that i've now completely forgotten to do my gutters just, just completely fits into the narrative of the entire <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's not it's not it's not been a great um week for news in general no. and general general optimism of the situation but um let's not dwell on that too much hey, well, though, let's talk about weather and gear because we all work outside from time to time yeah, huh? what, a segue. what a segue what a segue well, right, right, here. What, right here what what <laughs> What have you bought now? No, no, I was just hoping you would be like, oh, yeah, no, of course. I I shoot outside all the time. (laughs) And then you'd segue. But no, apparently, I'll I'll continue. I'm not not taking the bait. You're not taking the bait? God damn. No, not Uh, this week. What? (laughs) Not this week. (laughs) Fool me once. Um, no, I remember on your kit bag walkthrough. Am I thinking about your kit bag walkthrough, which you should watch on YouTube? Um, it has. You mean you've uh, been watching other people's kit bag walkthroughs? Always, <gasps> forever. Sorry. I, I, I hate to be that guy, but I'm afraid me and your walk, gear walkthrough video we're not exclusive anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I've been seeing on you, you video. <laughs> I've been seeing other videos. <laughs> Okay, so what what have you what have you been watching? What have I been watching? I don't know. Yeah, I, what, I what is it? You thought it was your video that you had some waterproofing for your in your kit bag. Oh, like well, no, I, I I do have some very basic stuff that's kind of emergency. Yeah. So this whole segue that I've been desperately trying to get you to kind of eke out some <laughs> some info, you've actually already given away. You just forgot about it. Uh, well, I mean, it's pretty. It's it's they're pretty dull bits of kit. They're basically glorified bags and bits of string but they are quite useful to have in your bag for when it is raining because not only can they go over your camera they can go over a you know a flash head or whatever but in terms of sexiness they are a one out of ten ladies and gentlemen blood out of a stone (laughs) (laughs) we go i can't even remember who makes them are they um optech i think it might be optech Optech that just make all sorts of weird bits of kit like I never very... want a trap that has suspension built into it with rubber dots on it, but Optech build it. Yeah, so... well, I I actually own one of those straps, and it oh sits God, on my it. I, it sits on my well, it sits on my Polaroid six hundred SE, which is a beast of a camera. So that is a large camera, but it is weird when you use it because it feels like you're wearing like a camera with suspension because it literally it kind of bounces <laughs> softly at your side. <laughs> does it help you take better pictures i i don't know is it more comfortable my local um, camera has them and every time i go in they go you you should try one 
<laughs> I do actually, I do actually think it's a very comfortable strap, but I, I honestly have never really used it with a, a with a camera like a normal camera. <laughs> so was with the novelty it, cameras, is it? Yeah, I, I got it, and then it was like, okay, I'm not going to use that on my. It's too big to use on mm-hmm. my like day to day cameras, so goes in a drawer and then you know what it's like you look at you get a something and you're like oh i need a camera strap oh i get to the camera strap drawer camera Go to the camera strap. Strap. i yeah. mean I'm, a, I'm not quite that flush i only have one set of camera straps so well you yeah see i'm i'm i end up with all this crap that's you've been quite good at kind of clearing out your I've various been, kind of hoarding i've been very good at it very good actually before we came on here we were talking about the pros and cons of ebay and old kit and um you, you know you're currently dealing with a con of it and i'm currently dealing with no pros because i've not sold anything in a while actually i've got a big ebay sale coming right up but by the time this has come out everything will have gone so i don't feel so bad about shamelessly trying to plug a previous ebay sale <laughs> but you're yeah like no, the, uh, you're like the um mary condo of the camera world <laughs> do you know what I, I will take that does it give me joy does it bring me joy yes absolutely i'll keep it does it Let bring me, me joy? No, I'll probably end up keeping it because photographers are hoarders and we all we all have <laughs> and boxes of tat and crap that just I don't know, just I don't know about you. Yeah, it's but like for a me, great name um, for a brand. Tat, tat and crap. crap. <laughs> I was gonna call my building firm because the work's been a bit slow because of obviously COVID, and I thought I was gonna start a building firm called Bodget and Fix It. Um but now, actually, tat and crap could be quite a could be quite a viable option. That sounds a if bit really- like my um my 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 side sideline in um I thought about starting like a side photography business called Funnel Vision. Funnel Vision. <laughs> a funnel I've, even, I've even I've even got a Funnel Vision T-shirt in the Chuckle Vision font that an art director once had made up for me at a rap party. Amazing, <laughs> but. <laughs> It was off-putting every time I went to take a picture and someone would start doing the funnel, funnel vision kind of soundtrack in the background. Fair enough. Quickly put a shirt over that. <laughs> oh, dear. But, yeah, going back to eBay, um, we, we've we all got just boxes. You've got a studio space, but your kit, do you have just – does that mean if you've got two different places, does that mean you have two different boxes of crap? Oh, at least, yeah. At I least. mean, <laughs> so what- listeners, is that I behind me? I'm I'm berating Greg for having more with more box of kit, but I have got uh, four, eight, twelve, sixteen, twenty, twenty-four boxes of crap in my office. Unbelievable! Never counted them before. That's really embarrassing. <laughs> right. So I Matt- have, yeah. I- I have a whole um, load of uh, crap at home on various shelves, wall to ceiling, and then in the studio we have a couple of things. We have a we have a unit called the Beast, mm-hmm. which um, is appropriately named because it's impossible to move the bloody thing, and that's full of kit. And then we have an industrial shelving unit of six shelves made out of like a whole scaffolding rig. Um, which is also full of kit. Yeah, it's not all mine. But sure. um I promise. Just, just five shelves out of the six are yours. <laughs> anyway. Um <laughs> terrible. Moving on. On to- 
We have. Uh, we're very lucky today. We've got um, Nick Dunmar from the AOP, and um, it's a pretty awesome episode. This one, I think, it's going to be really useful for people who are have got questions about usage and licensing and contracts. Um, that may sound dull, but Nick does a very good job of making that all interesting and accessible. Um, there's loads of <laughs> there's loads of really good links actually that he mentions. Um, so do make sure you check out the show notes because there's um, a couple of things that he he mentioned that I was furiously googling after we'd finished chatting to him. Um, what doing? <laughs> yeah, that was a tap tap tapping. I just, if I'm honest, mate, I thought you just was- thought I was ignoring you. <laughs> no, not quite. But yeah, go on. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm, I don't even know where you're going with that. <laughs> oh dear, it's been a very, very long week, and we're only on Wednesday. So yeah, l- lower the tone, Barnes. Sorry, that would be me. I don't even lower the tone; it just crashes through the floor. Um, but yeah, Nick is. Uh, it was a, it was a fascinating chat with Nick. Um, super interesting. I, let's face it, contracts are a, a pain in the ass, but they're always good to kind of get a refresher go back and just get a clarity on the terms and, and everything like that. It's becoming more and more, it's always a massive part of the job, but it's now becoming more and more, you know, something you need to kind of watch out for. So, uh, yeah, Nick very kindly talks us through it and uh, and talks about what the AOP is as is and does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. A little introduction to the AOP for those who aren't kind of familiar with it and actually there's loads of i mean i'm a we're both members of the op i believe and um there are aspects of it that they do that i wasn't even aware of so even if you feel like you know stuff it's still worth a listen for that um but yeah also he talks through all the various kind of aspects of it the various um membership levels and stuff so you know if you're a student or if you're just starting out there's different kind of things that might suit you um yeah I thought it was a really good episode, and it was lovely to have Nick on. Actually, he's a it's a really lovely guy. Bloody nice chap. Bloody nice chap. Um, well, should we? Um, you know, I, I feel I feel terrible. Like I've let the side down with a low brow series of jokes in the intro because actually it's a very high brow chat. You know, <laughs> Nick's going to be listening back to this and going, "Why did I go on there? Why <laughs> those did two I- Muppets?" <laughs> Um, but yeah, thank you very much to everyone who is still listening to this uh, to this podcast. The feedback actually, again, has been fantastic. We're, we're getting some lovely messages and things like that. Um, so yeah, it's always nice to hear what a great job we're doing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, do really, really reach out with those questions as well. I was going to say, help kind of... <laughs> we are saving some of them up so um, for when they become more relevant all become clear um but without further ado let's crack on with the episode so ladies and gentlemen nick dunmar no uh no loud mouse click then there greg that's a bit of a shame i feel very upset um on today uh, right i'm gonna start that again on today's episode we are speaking to nick dunmer who is a professional photographer but also the business and legal advisor to aop members nick how are you doing I'm very well. How are you guys? Doing all right. Doing all right. Greg, where where are you? Uh, where are you chatting to us today from, Nick? I'm from my home, home office. office. 
Yeah, absolutely. Which is located in uh, a rural part of North Nottinghamshire, not too far from uh, Newark and from Nottingham. So I'm kind of next to or reasonably next to the East Coast Main Line, which makes it dead easy to get down to London. Um, uh, well, when when that was a thing, I mean, clearly that's not a thing these days. Uh, <laughs> and followers of my uh, four seconds of a train journey, I thought I'd get that plug in. Um, will have noticed that there haven't been any new updates on my Instagram feed for some time, probably since March the twenty third. Disappointed. I know. I'm sorry. Very Tom, have you thought about? Have you thought about changing it to some kind of four seconds of a sat my office journey, or I don't know, is there another alternative that you could come up with? Four seconds there's, of watching the kettle boil. There's going to have to be an alternative, Greg. I think definitely four seconds of a walk around the block or something. <laughs> four seconds of lockdown. It's just a picture of a cup of tea. Yeah, I like that. Ab- absolutely. Um, so if if I'm right. Uh, the AOP is relinquishing its lease. So I think you're all going to be working from home. Is this right? Well, we've been a virtual organisation for, you know, since lockdown started, really. Um, So Mm -hmm. uh, it makes little sense to have something that none of us can really get into and access and certainly somewhere that nobody else can get to in terms of members coming in to visit and all the rest of it. And we uh don't know how long this is going to go on for you know six months of, of measures has been banded about in the news recently um that's likely to be an optimistic estimate of how long this uh situation is going to last i think it's generally mm-hmm. acknowledged that you know covid's going to be with us full stop so we've just got to find a way of managing that and dealing with it which is you know partly why um we're doing this the way that we're doing it i guess you know over a, an internet connection yep no, as, and also we're just too lazy to get together in person. So that's what. That's, well, there's, what there's we always that. <laughs> we're not. We're not. Um, we uh, for the for the listeners who don't know much about the AOP, can you kind of give us a brief kind of rundown and kind of like an introduction to what it is the AOP do? And yeah, is? of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the AOP stands for the Association of Photographers. Um, it's been in existence since 1968. And it was originally formed really as a, as a reaction against um, a set of pretty uh, egregious terms um, being touted by um, model agencies at the time um, who wanted more money for uh, not doing uh, any additional um, work or, or, or adding anything else to the, to, to, the, uh, to the pot. And it started small. It rapidly started to gain a bit of traction and it was formed mainly from advertising and fashion photographers originally. So it was it was known as AFAP for quite a while. Um, subsequently, the, the photographer membership base has broadened massively. So we've got members across all types of sectors who work in all types of genres. And um, th- I think the nature of photography has changed quite a bit as well in that people now are, are working cross cross-sector, cross-genre a lot more. Um, you guys, I'm sure, uh, are involved in moving image uh, production in the same way that that I and many of my colleagues are as well. So that's a newer mm-hmm. addition to our sort of tool set. Um, in terms of what the AOP is, it's a, it's a not-for-profit trade organisation. So it's a professional association. You, you pay to be a member. We support, promote, educate and, and inspire anybody that comes into sort of our circle uh, in terms of, you know, what you're reminding people what your rights are, um, uh, helping you as a member with 
any contractual issues, any um, legal issues, any copyright infringement issues. Um, we also get involved in the marketing of members through promoting their portfolios to commissioners and art buyers as well. So um, it's it's a little bit more than what you might consider a, a trade association to be, um, particularly with the mm -hmm. marketing aspects of it and the and the kind of showcases and the uh, events that we put on, you know, even virtual ones like the Breakfast Club, which we uh, ran the first series of uh, from pretty much April, beginning of April, I think that was started, which has proved to be really, really popular. Um, so much so that we are going to do a series two of that, which would be really good. So that's uh, in the mm -hmm. pipeline at the moment. And I think, you know, given that we are all online now, um, it's really important to be able to keep a way of keeping people connected and keeping people in touch with the association because you know if you're not running physical events how do you keep members involved and engaged and one of the ways mm. of doing that is you know through um, online events that we can um, put out there in front of people and get people taking part in you know so it's not it's not just one way it's not a presentation it's an actual um uh, a webinar or event where people can join in and, and you know be part of that as well which i think is is really important too does that answer your question? Very, yeah, very, very well. <laughs> but also, but also, as well as uh, all the advice and the events that you guys do, you guys also, with the membership, do come things like uh, the discount codes and the uh, included professional indemnity uh, insurance and and all other bits that uh, many photographers maybe don't think of or maybe kind of. Have, kind of let that kind of get a bit lax mm. and all that kind of thing so yeah there's there's all sorts of extra bits as well isn't there yeah and it's funny you should mention the professional indemnity um thing because i was talking to uh, a potential new member earlier today who was asking what the benefits of membership were so which is always a good question to answer because you kind of you you have to sort of you know you think through physically what they are and explain them to somebody else who has no idea about it but certainly one of the one of the big points is that value of professional indemnity policy, which if you were to buy separately is about 180 quids worth of cover. So you're getting that thrown into your accredited photographer membership, um, which, yeah, that's pretty good, I think, pretty good value. And like you say, discounts for loads and loads of um, bits and pieces that you can access through the member dashboard. Too many for me to mention mm -hmm. at the moment, but they're being added to all the time. Um, mm. And I think anything that saves photographers a few quid here and there. Um, and it is also of a good, you know, a, a, of a professional quality. I think that's the other thing as well. You know, you don't want to be giving professional members discounts to things that actually professionals would never use. You want to be giving them discounts mm. to things that they would, that, you know, that they would use. So that's um, clearly a, a yardstick that needs to be met, uh, measured and met each time we do something like that as well. Sure. You also you also offer different levels, don't you? Strata of um, uh, membership. So you have student membership, and you have full members, and yeah. so you don't have to necessarily commit straight away if people so, are thinking of joining. No, that's right, Greg. Absolutely. So the um, the, the there are uh, the professional memberships start with access, which is uh, thirty quid a year, which is really really good value. So that gets you in. Um, and part of sort of the AOP um, group, uh, you'll get connected to the forums, you get access to the member dashboard and all of the kind of template letters, downloads and support and advice through there. 
uh, then you um, can look to uh, move up either to something like assisting photographer if you're uh, if you're actively working as an assistant or have worked an assistant you can be uh, you, you can be part of that category of membership you can equally then uh, you could be an associate member which is designed to include um, supporting professions as much as photographers so we do have stylists we do have hair and makeup artists involved as members at associate level which is really good as well because you know clearly photography is a team game and it involves people from other professions as well, not just photographers to make the whole thing happen. And then ultimately the idea is that you would sort of look at moving yourself to accredited photographer where you submit a portfolio that's assessed. If the, the quality of the work is, is just to be sort of the right kind of level, and that's obviously a subjective term, um, whatever that might be, then you know, you're know you an accredited photographer with, with the full set of bells and whistles that goes along with that. Um, and then additionally, we have uh, affiliated company membership where companies that uh, like what we do, like what we stand for, um, pay to be um, uh, more closely associated with us. And that gives them access to our membership through uh, sponsored newsletters and mail outs and access to events and that kind of thing as well. So we've got sort of quite a large number of affiliated companies, which anybody that gets the AOP uh, member newsletter will see at the foot of that there's always a, a chunk of um, brands that are collected together which is basically our affiliated companies and mm -hmm. we also um, as far as education is concerned because that's equally and important to um, cater for mm -hmm. we have a range of accredited courses so those are courses that teach beyond the lens or the, or, or the principles of beyond the lens in their professional practice modules and are keen to prepare their students in a as best a way they can for work in industry. So not every course is going to be uh, wanting to do that, but it's um, particularly for those courses where they know that their students are looking to move on from student to uh, working, uh, you know, having photography as a career, as a profession, yeah. um, will we'll connect with those kind of courses have a look at how they teach what they teach what their facilities are like and if they meet those criteria they become uh, an accredited course and alongside yeah. that um if there are if they are an accredited course any student studying on that course gets a free student membership so that brings with uh, brings with it access to the member dashboard and all the kind of resources that are in there um discounted entry to the student awards etc etc all that kind of stuff but that's not to say any any student can also become a member. They just have to pay for that. So it's free if you're on an accredited course. You just have to pay um, 25 quid, I think it is, 24 quid, 25 quid, um, if you're not on an accredited course. Um, and then also, finally, just to wrap up that bit, if you are a student member, when you graduate, you get a free year's access membership on top to sort of help you bridge the gap a little bit between your um, your education and your sort of starting out in the in in, in the profession. Mm -hmm. You mentioned beyond the lens. Now this is kind of like a nice segue into kind of the the bulk really of the of the chat. I'd love to talk to you about beyond the lens and what it is because obviously I found it very very helpful when I was kind of first getting going, uh, and I still dip in and out. It's actually up on the up on the shelves over there. I still kind of dip in and out of it. Good man. Um, I actually got the updated version. So, so do you want to kind of run through what it is? But it's basically like if there was a photographer's Bible, 
kind of or like a not or yeah. a manual, yeah. Religion, Bible religion a little bit. <laughs> it does a little bit. Welcome to the doctrine of photography. No, uh, yeah, it's it's like a it's like basically a you know this is this is kind of how things work, right? Yeah, I mean the the, the phrase that we use because I know what you mean about using the word Bible. Um, it, it doesn't sit quite so well, but the phrase that we use is. Um, the gold standard of professional practice. So that's that's what we like to think of it as. Um, and yeah, it's it's a really useful collection of um, both fact and anecdote in terms of how people's uh, own experiences have shaped the way that they do business as well. So it's not just a manual in the sense that it tells you what you need to, to know and what you need to do. There is also stuff in there that's written from a personal perspective from a range of mm -hmm. photographers and practitioners about their own experiences in industry and how they got to where they are. Um, and I think that's equally important, you know, if you're kind of starting out and you want to, you, you want to, you know, it, it's always interesting to hear somebody else's story about the route that they took to get to a particular mm. place in a profession like that. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's sections on copyright and licensing, there's sections on contract, there's sections on working in advertising, in editorial, um, licensing stock, what paperwork you need. I mean, the whole gamut of professional practice uh, is covered in that. And I, sorry, to jump, sorry to jump in. I, what, I, what I would love to start off by talking about is we as photographers i don't think many of us have done it in a probably a very long time and we should all kind of do it as a regular um kind of exercise but it really does help when you're when you're kind of getting going and, and for the people starting out it's your is your cost of doing business you know when people say oh how much should i charge you kind of go well how much does it cost you to run your business day to day and people go well i don't know never done it so beyond the lens goes into basically starts off with this right and and how you can you know start to kind of ascertain what day rate you should be charging the higher the overheads probably the higher the day rate it's yeah. also useful actually to, to have now because more more than ever because with a lot of photographers who are not necessarily getting the same income streams that they were getting before but it's still got the same costs going out although certain i know that aop actually did a um a fee holiday um during the first part of lockdown which was 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 very um well received mm. um but 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 most photographers still have those outgoings they'll still be paying for their studio they'll still be paying for their overheads and if you know your cost of doing business then you can you have an idea of where you stand financially but sorry carry on with with where you were going no that yeah. was the that was the, that was the point <laughs> ah it's <sorry>. it's surprising <laughs> well yeah i mean it, it is surprising how there are still quite a lot of people who are shooting professionally who don't know what their break even is, for example. So if you don't know what the costs of doing business are, you know, what it actually costs you to um, pick up a camera, go out, make some work, process it, upload it um, and, and run that business. If you don't know what, what, what that's costing you, you're, you're in no position to negotiate a fee that's meaningful um, and to make a sustainable business from it. And that's that's mm -hmm. really the key. One of the tools that we've built um, relatively recently has been a uh, spreadsheet that allows somebody that's got no experience, no expertise to put in a lot of the overheads that they will inevitably come up against, such as you know purchase of equipment, 
insurance, maybe an office rental or a studio rental, um, as well as their own personal expenditure. Because obviously, you know, you still got to buy food. You might have to pay for a mortgage or rent or, you know, there are going to be other elements which you're going to need to fund from whatever you do to make money. So we built a spreadsheet that's um, a free download from the AOP's website that's basically a starting day rate calculator, which allows you to plug in all of these numbers. It to totals them all up for you. Um, and then depending on the, the other variable, which is how many days a week you think you can actually earn money. And of course, you know, for a lot of people, that's another bit of thinking that they maybe haven't um, devoted enough time to because the tendency, the, the temptation is to think, well, you know, I can shoot five days a week. Well, as you two both know, that's far from um, being the reality because that takes in, that doesn't take into account any element of pre-production, post-production, marketing, admin, business expenditure, holidays, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so once you've, once you've taken all of that stuff into account, I mean, you're lucky over the course of a year, and I'm talking of a normal year, not 2020, which is a COVID year. So clearly that's had a, a, a that's really upended everything um, anyway. But in a normal year, uh, you know, in, in say uh, advertising, you know, you might be lucky to shoot properly um, three or four times a month, maybe, you know, in terms of earning money. And the rest of it is pre-production. It's leading up to that. It's Post-production, you may or may not be, or you know, depending on what the agreement was, you may or may not be getting paid for that. So suddenly that becomes um, a much more difficult thing to manage, both in terms of cash flow, but in terms of knowing where your, your profit sits and what your break even and, and why it's really, really important to know what your break-even is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of young photographers who are starting out kind of probably um, kind of fall into the trap where they end up working all the time or, or staying incredibly busy but getting paid small amounts and then feeling like this is great i'm busy i'm i'm in demand i'm shooting all the time yeah and then find it very difficult when they realize actually it's not sustainable to be working at that rate to turn it around and say well how do i actually just uh, not be working seven days a week because my life balance is out of whack. How do I figure out how to, because, you know, on these rates, I'm not earning enough to be able to work less than that. And that's when the real, you know, the reality hits that photographers have to charge a certain amount in order to, you know, deal with the rest of the stuff that we deal with on our business side. Absolutely. People kind of fixate of like, you've got to be busy. You've got to be, sh and being busy is shooting. Whereas you said, as you said, it's it's there's so much involved in pre-production, in post-production, in marketing, and all the other sides of things that need to be taken care of to run a business successfully, and people don't always take that into account at the beginning, partly because it's unsexy and partly because it's just something that people don't necessarily think about when they think about becoming a photographer. No, I think you're right, and I I mean that the way that I look on it is is that if you're a professional you run a business first and you're a, you're a photographer second and you need to if the business doesn't make a profit and doesn't pay you a wage and doesn't support you and your family and whatever else you you want to do with it then you haven't really got a business you you know i and i think that you know the 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 part of being a professional is that you know you are uh you're able to not only repeat on demand what a client asks of you so you're able to turn up regardless of what the circumstances are and you can deliver to the brief that the client set you. 
and mm-hmm. you know but but it's also you're 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 looking out you're looking after the industry as a whole you know you're not undercutting anybody to the extent that uh, you're shafting them and shooting them in the foot and you know for some people if they're starting out a couple of hundred pounds a day sounds like a really good deal but actually that might be less than half of what you need to actually cover all of your costs and if you've never done those sums how will you know mm. often you can end up um kind of spiraling with that where you won't see immediately that what you're the profit that you're losing what you should be charging it's just that six months down the line you're still peddling away and wondering why it's not quite working why you can't quite afford you know the lifestyle you think you should be living or anything like that so i think the danger and, and to go back to what i was saying earlier i feel like there's a lot of people fall into that trap because it's not immediately apparent unless you sit down and you do do something like this you create a business plan you actually do do your cost of doing business it's one of those things I always try and say to people when they're starting out. So I didn't realize that the AOP had that spreadsheet, but that's a fantastic resource. We'll obviously put an, a, a link to that in the show notes because mm-hmm. that would be a great thing for, for, especially now when people have got time on their hands to actually sit down and do some number crunching. Yeah, absolutely. And the important thing to remember with that as well is that it's titled a starting day rate calculator because we know clearly that you know that there are other factors that influence how much somebody might be able to charge you know the level of experience that you've got the niche that you work in you know whether whether you you are particularly sought after by uh, a client or an agency or whatever whatever it might be there's there's clearly other elements that are going to be added to that which is why it's a starting figure it's the kind of it's the figure below which if you if you take a job below that figure you're basically losing money that's the kind of that that was the purpose of developing it and uh, and, and and naming it as that was that you know this is this is your ba- this is your bottom line basically. By all means, try and make it more because you're going to be uh, into a profit scenario and you're going to be able to do more things. You know, you'd be able to reinvest in your business. You won't need to shoot for as as, as many days necessarily to uh, cover all the costs of doing business. But you know, if you don't know those numbers from the word go, yeah, you're going to be in trouble, as you say, definitely. Um, and also, I mean, the other the other point to consider, I think, which is important is that i think and, and i think this is this is has this has changed i i think over the the past few years is that people are now generally more likely to sort of look out for each other collectively as as a profession i think um in in sort of previous times it was much more cutthroat and and people wouldn't think uh, twice maybe about undercutting somebody and not really thinking about um, the long-term effects of that. But we are at a bit of a, a sort of, I don't know, not a, not a crunch point necessarily, but as, as we know, you know, there is so much supply out there of, uh, you know, photography of what you might call professional photography. And that's, it's very easy to become a professional photographer. There are no barriers to entry. And on the one hand, that's great. You know, that should that's as it should be because you want to be able to. Um, there's that sort of word that gets bandied around: democratize the kind of the whole process, um, and allow anybody that's got um, the, the inclination and um, the, the creativity to have a go at that. Which is that's to be applauded. The problem is when people don't take the time to understand the business uh, and how it's set up and how it works. And, you know, clients can sometimes use that against you if 
somebody is suddenly used to paying £200 a day for a shoot and they think that's the norm, then that suddenly scuppers everybody else who knows that they have to be charging at least five or six hundred pounds a day to break even, you know, to cover their costs of doing business. Because they know, as we've said, they can only shoot a couple of days that week, that everything else is pre and post prod and everything, you know, just cover fills their time basically. You know, you can't do five days a week, fifty-two weeks of the year. It's simply impossible to do. That's uh, yeah. That's. I mean, an, another aspect though that, that that I find is going to be really helpful for a lot of people, uh, aside from the cost of doing business that Beyond the Lens goes into, is is um, contracts, and also kind of the terminology that some people are not going to be necessarily immediately familiar with, if they haven't studied law. Um, contracts are one of those things that I think a lot of people. Um, seem to overlook and again i wonder if a bit like cost of doing business people are almost a bit scared of tackling it because it seems oh, i just it's a side of the business i don't want to deal with i'm a creative i don't really want to have to be thinking about all this legal mumbo jumbo and of course you have to you have to be um focused on it because it can really you know um trap you and, and trip you up and uh, there was um you were on a um sorry to refer to this but you were on a podcast actually earlier on in lockdown um, that I was listening to earlier with um Gabrielle Matola stranger curiosity she had a great yeah. um round table um and if anyone hasn't had um listened to that again we'll link to that in the show notes so I thought that was a really interesting episode and um Sky Trailer the photography agent was on there and she commented that you know recently she'd been coming across a lot of photographers that since uh, the pandemic have hit have been trying to license work and then discovering that they're not able to license the work because they'd signed this contract with whatever magazine or, or provider that they were producing the images for and they hadn't realized at the time that they might have taken you know um an exclusivity deal or a per something in perpetuity and they'd not necessarily understood the the language itself so are there sections there are sections in beyond the lens that cover that as well is that yeah absolutely and and you're right i mean it is a it's a fundamental tenet of running a business is that you're going to have to deal with bits of paperwork and you know that's just the way it is so if you know it, uh, there's a there's a to take one step back from that i mean for somebody that really really enjoys photography um and thinks that going professional is is the way to kind of maximize that enjoyment of it. As I say, because you're you're putting it into a profession and a, a business setting, that becomes your sort of first responsibility is to make sure the business is is up and running properly and that it's sustainable. So actually, if somebody doesn't want or doesn't like or doesn't feel like they've got the wherewithal to want to have to deal with that aspect of it, then keep photography as a hobby. There's nothing wrong in having photography as a hobby and being an amateur, which after all means for the love of. That's what the word means. You know, I mean, we we tend to be sometimes as professionals, we, we I think we can be a bit sniffy about amateur photographers. You know, mm -hmm. it's used as a, as a, a derogatory term. But as I say, it, it just means for the love of doing something. It's not something to be um, uh, to be ashamed of in that sense, you know, but um, Going back to the, um, the the matter of contracts, yeah, you're going to have to deal with people that are quite bullish, that are quite used to getting their own way, 
and developing a level of, of confidence in terms of pushing back against something that you've been offered that you feel is not to your advantage, that is part of the negotiation. That's part of the process of arriving at a point where you go, okay, you've given away this bit, I've given away this bit, I think we're more or less there, we're meeting in the middle to some degree, let's call that a deal. You know, you kind of uh, metaphorically shake on it, sign on the dotted line and, and that's it. And then you go and do the work, you know. And as you say, Greg, that part of the process is something that a lot of people don't understand or don't feel that they need to get involved with. Um, but when the reality of the situation is apparent, as Sky pointed out in that podcast, where you think, oh, great, I've got all of this work that I can do something with. And then you suddenly go back and check and find, oh, shit, I've uh, I've just you know signed my uh, rights away in perpetuity, which means forever. Uh, for anybody not knowing what that phrase means, um, or I've given them an exclusive license for a particularly long length of time. I didn't realize that, you know, your hands are tied. I mean, you agreed to that contract um, and it's very difficult to get out of that. So with with um, with Beyond the Lens, there, there, there's sections on this that obviously are worth a read. And again, we will link to Beyond the Lens in, in, the, um, in the show notes because you can purchase a copy online. Am I right? Yes, that's right. So it comes in a hard copy. It's um, it's worth, worth, and there's sections in there as well, which are super useful for anyone starting out who doesn't, for example, have their own contract that they might want to use. There's kind of templates that you can find, um, and there are things that you can use within the own. I mean, they're obviously they are just stuff to be based off. They're not stuff to be used totally in verbatim, but they're very good starting points from anyone who kind of. With the exception of the AOP terms and conditions, which you can use in uh, as as verbatim as they are, and they're, it's worth pointing out as well that they're free to anybody to use. I mean, they're on the download section of the AOP website. We purposefully made those free to all, simply because we want to encourage as many photographers as possible to protect themselves and to get off on the right foot. So if you if if anybody out there is starting out, you know, go to the AOP website and download a set and use those as 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 the first bit of documentation for your business you know help yourself that's something that we're quite happy to underwrite and provide to anybody very cool one thing i was interested then to to go from there with the contracts was uh, i mean um one aspect of photography again that does get overlooked i think by people sometimes starting out is is the is the fact that you can make money from licensing images down the line you're not just getting paid for the gig at the time shooting for money effectively you are creating work which then can be resold relicensed reused um and it is it should be um it can be difficult to make it so but it should be a factor that you take in and a significant not always significant but a large a part of your kind of projected income of potential income yeah is 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 licensing work um well in fact when you think about it actually licensing the use of your work is entirely what you do i mean you sell the use of something not the unit of it unless you're selling a a limited edition print or something like that which is a different thing because you're you're selling an object which happens to have your photograph on it you're not selling the use of that image in in a, in another media you're simply selling the vehicle to that image so and and you know licensing is something that a lot of people 
have difficulty wrapping their heads around. But if you think about comparing it to, say, um, the music industry or to um, people who write books, authors, novelists, whatever, you know, it's no different. You know, you buy a track for 99p off iTunes or something, you, you're not buying that track. You're buying a license for you to you to listen to that track on whatever device you you want to put it on. That's it. You know, your you, your your rights to ownership are, are, are nowhere more than a than a, a tiny little license for you as an individual. In the same way that if you buy a copy of a of a, of a book, you know, you're you're buying the paper and the hard and the, and the and, and the hardboard or cardboard that goes up to make up what it is as a physical object, but you're not owning the rights to the words on the page. I mean, that gives you just the vehicle to it. Mm -hmm. So photography is no different. You know, you sell an image, you're not actually selling the image, you're selling the use of it. Do you think there's going to be a lot of people who are, you know, quickly going back to what you were saying about the community feels a little less cutthroat. Do you think that's kind of a, a bit of a reaction because things like contracts, things like licensing, they're, they're starting to become quite, um, it's becoming harder. It's becoming harder and harder. The contracts are getting harsher and harsher. The the fees are dropping. You know, do you think that kind of community and people becoming a little bit less less cutthroat? Because it, there's almost like we're all in this together, bandied together, just to try and make it as as well. Try and stem like stimmy. Is it stimmy? It, or just kind stymie. of stymie? Stymie. Yes. There we go. Thank uh, you. Trying to stymie the um the kind of the inevitable march of because you know I emailed you what was it a couple of weeks ago going i'm just not going to shoot this style of work anymore just done yeah yeah um you know i, I had i had a load of contracts sent my way and i was just like well you know everyone seems to be trying to get as much for as little as as possible and there's there's yeah. obviously in in contracts as well not only you know we're talking about exclusivity and kind of the, the rights of agreements but they're also indemnity so say for example if someone um you know comes to you in the future and says well actually you know the, the very bottom of that cigarette packet has a logo in that yeah. nobody would have seen yeah you then have to indemnify the the, the client because that's yeah. in the contract yeah absolutely um, it's things it's things like that which will catch people out if you don't read it properly and if you don't if you read it and don't understand it then you know for goodness sake get somebody to to look over it who who knows what to look out for in that kind of situation yeah. but going back to you know your your point tom is absolutely right i mean uh, and i think also current circumstances have um accelerated uh a, a maybe a rate of change particularly in the publishing sector uh and talk about editorial magazine publishing um here um where you know there are some new contracts that are being presented to um contributors photographers etc which are you know, quite frankly, the, the worst that I've ever come across in terms of the, the level of rights that those publishers want access to. And mm. for the same low levels of editorial rates that have been around for donkey's years. And, you know, I think as photographers, we have to shoulder a little bit of the blame for that, because in the past, we've probably been collectively um, over keen to kind of work to their terms because it's work, because we're getting commissioned, because our work's going to be seen by an audience. Um, and that's possibly um, overridden. You know, I don't want to come across as sounding like I'm I'm, I'm beating on photographers here. But I, I think, you know, we, we are not, um, we're not guilt free in this, in, you know, in, in this equation, we do have um, uh, an element of complicity in the same way that, you know, we might have agreed 
to supply image libraries on their terms and suddenly realized that actually the rates we were getting were getting less and less and less and less and less. You know, um, I know that's not the whole picture, but clearly anybody that's been in the industry for sort of 20, 30 years and that has supplied stock once upon a time could make quite a good living from it and now is lucky to get uh, a 50th, a 100th of what they used to be earning maybe 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that sector of, of, of industry has 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 changed beyond recognition. Mm. Um, and, you know, in the same way, I think the, the current, you know, the pandemic, the circumstances that we're in has put a lot of pressure on um, a lot of other businesses who are now looking to try and um, entrench their positions a little bit and, and to kind of make up some ground, which is mm-hmm. why we're seeing, I think, um, some of these new contracts being presented, which are taking ever greater slices of um, of photographers' rights away from them um, in perpetuity for no extra money, allowing mm-hmm. the rights for them to sublicense the work to other people. You know, if you're getting, I mean, I don't know what I, you know, an average editorial rate is these days, but if you're being paid sort of three, four hundred quid, you know, by a, a fairly well-known um, Sunday magazine, um, and you're kind of you're thinking, well, now they've got that. Now they they practically own that work that I've just shot for them. They can do whatever they want with it, um, and you know, I'm not able to relicense that. I'm not able to even necessarily use it on my own website for my own uh, marketing and promotional purposes unless I get permission from them Um, and you know suddenly you realize actually I don't think this is worth it anymore which is what you said Tom you just you know you reach a point where you go do you know what I'm just not going to shoot that work anymore you know if that's what the deal is I'm going to find another way of making some money you know and I'm going to I'm not going to play that game anymore and I think Mm. you know this we are we are in in some in in some way at that particular tipping point, you know, which has been accelerated by um, the pandemic. I think it's put us mm. it's put us into that position a bit a bit quicker than we would have otherwise got there. And just just to quantify, you said they were the worst contracts you've ever seen. Now now, just we've got you on because you are you know a very very experienced man looking at contracts. You've you've seen. You know, I don't want to put a number on it, but how long have you been in the business and legal advisor with the AOP? As as long as I've as long as I've known. Well, I've been involved with the AOP for probably twenty no fifteen years, I think, give or take. Um, I mean, I've I took over from Gwen. A lot of you will remember Gwen Thomas, who used to be the AOP's business and legal advisor. And when she retired, um, it was one of those moments where people were going, "Well, we need to get somebody to replace Gwen to step into her shoes." and all eyes turned to look at me and I was like looking behind me to see who they were looking at and then realized, <laughs> Oh no, you mean me? Okay, fine. Right. Okay. Um, so in that official capacity, I've, I've been involved for probably six, seven years doing, you know, wearing this hat, but I've worked with Gwen, um, since I was on the board way back in, Oh God, when was it? 2009 or something like that, I think. So, yeah. you know, quite a long time ago, but, um, yeah, and I've seen, as you say, I've seen a lot of contracts and a lot of terms and conditions. I'm not, I, you know, I've seen contracts that will um, re- require an assignment of copyright, which is obviously, you know, that's the ultimate kick in the teeth for a photographer. Um, and you kind of dismiss those as, as as being, well, clearly, you know, one hopes nobody in their right mind would sign anything like that. 
But for big, respectable titles to start pushing contracts in front of their contributors and photographers that are all but copyright assignments is really bad news, you know, and that's 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 not sustainable. And actually, I think it's going to bite them in the bum because I think what will happen is that, uh, and we know anecdotally that there are a lot of people out there who are not signing these um, these particular contracts. Um, the level of um, content that is going to be supplied will go down because all of all the photographers who supply good material will think, well, I'm, you know, I know I'm able to get this. I, I can put this work out elsewhere. I can get these stories seen elsewhere. I will find other avenues for this, other ways of licensing this work or other ways of getting this work commissioned, um, and they'll go elsewhere. So those titles, those publishers, will have access to less and less and less good work, which is going to mean less and less and less readers, which is ultimately going to just it, there's a it's a it's a one way ticket, isn't it? You know, it's interesting because I was talking to um, uh, somebody else who happened to mention an American um, publisher, which was doing the opposite. They were actually um, offering better terms to their contributors because they recognised actually if they were attractive if they were offering attractive terms, they'd be inundated with people wanting to work with them. You mm -hmm. know, sort of fighting over each other to shoot and to provide really good. Um, good photography and of course that's exactly what will happen you know they've suddenly got uh, a queue of brilliant a a-list photographers wanting to shoot for them because they're offering proper fees they're offering decent contracts and you know that's that that's going to up their game no end in terms of you know that the that the, the, their readers are going to uh, have a field day that it's going to be well this is this is you know j just uh, it's going to be um yeah, one way to just really secure everybody's future. The readership goes up. Advertisers love that because the title's getting more traction. Contributors mm -hmm. are benefiting. You know, it's a win-win. I can't see why other people can't see that. It's frustrating. <laughs> to say the least, absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously we, we, we always try to be quite kind of, as much as we can be, upbeat. <laughs> as much as we can be. Um, as much as we can be upbeat in, when we talk about you know the future of, of photography and i think obviously to, to discuss licensing um is interesting because i know that the aop have, have had um, a usage calculator on their website for a, for a while I, I heard that it might be getting a bit of an update is that something that you is still happening yeah absolutely um yes you're right the usage calculator has been there for a long time and um in a pre-internet pre-digital world if you can imagine such a thing uh, it even existed as uh, a printed out spreadsheet, um, just uh, an Excel spreadsheet that people print out and would actually use and and physically work out on a calculator in terms of um, how to get to a final figure. It is a guideline. I mean, that's the important thing to state from the off, which is why yeah. I think people sometimes miss that, um, the fact that it is a guideline and also that it's aimed very much at top level advertising budgets you know there are people mm -hmm. who get those figures where you put in a, a base usage rate or what might be termed your ordinary day rate into um, that box and you start adding the various um, components like duration uh, media and territory and get a figure returned some people are aghast that it was returning sort of you know uh, a six-figure sum for example for 
I don't know what might be a two-year worldwide usage in a couple of media or something like that. You know, people think that's that's absolutely extortionate, and there's no way their client's going to pay that. And that might be true. You know, if you're working for um, uh, a, a design client or a, uh, a corporate client, you know that that's not um, that's not got a really big media spend. That's not an advertising agency. That's not a sort of uh, a, a top five hundred brand or something like that. You know, that may be true. So one does need to approach the usage calculator with a degree of um, sort of not caution necessarily, but sort of common preparedness sense. to yeah, common sense exactly. Yeah, you know, just just assume that this is being delivered to a, a top level brand or advertising agency mm -hmm. and then look at where your client sits in relation to that and if they're mm. if in the in the grand scheme of things there may be sort of 50 percent up a sliding scale and you know there's no there's no science to this this is a, a sort of something that comes with experience and we're talking to other people about where how, how you get to this particular point um but you can rapidly work out you know where your clients sit in relation to you know top level brands for example and and peg your um your costs uh, your, your the results of the usage calculator accordingly but it is going to get um, a revamp we are looking at ways of um bringing it sort of more up to date based on what clients um needs and requests are in terms of uh, usage and and most commonly asked for packs of usage and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. so watch watch this mm -hmm. space that is a work in progress excellent. yeah because i think i mean i think it's an excellent resource anyway for for photographers again anybody kind of earlier on in their career or any any real stage of your career just to remind yourself of the potential fees on certain jobs to give people a sense of perspective of what they could be asking what they sometimes should be asking and and you know as you said you have to have a degree of using it within context but I think if you use that and you use something maybe like um, the NUJ rates um, as a, also another kind of marking a base point to kind of work off, you can start to kind of figure out for yourself what you think and then with your cost of doing business. It's a case of, of, of getting all of these elements and keeping them all in mind for anybody who's kind of unsure of what they should be charging. And the and other thing back. that you can use, sorry, Greg, to butt in, the other thing yeah. you can use is the um, Getty have a usage calculator, which I appreciate yes. is for stock as opposed to for commissioned work. But again, it's another tool that you can use to get a feel for what um, somebody uh, you know would be paying if they were to use that image in a certain set of media and a certain um, uh, territory and for a certain length of time. You know, so I think. Absolutely, that's the right way to do it, is to use all of those tools and then to sort of work out where you think you fit in that scenario in the grand scheme of things, you know, where you sit as a, as a professional. If you're a, a new uh, starter, you know, maybe you've got uh, overhead, you've worked out the cost of doing business, you've done all that kind of um, groundwork, um, you might be, you know, starting at a, a lower day, day rate than somebody else, for example, obviously with more experience. Which brings me one of the thing that I wanted to talk about actually on the on on that basis is that we're seeing more of a, a shift to people um, uh, charging a creative fee as opposed to a day rate. Now day rates are useful because it uh, enables um, clients particularly to make comparisons between photographers. But the problem is is that you know what might take um, 
you guys 10 minutes to shoot might take somebody else who's got very little experience a day to shoot because they don't know the ins and outs of it. You know, if you're an experienced photographer, you've done that sort of kind of, of, of work before, you've learnt how to set the lighting up, you've learned how to control the technical aspects of what you're shooting, that can be quite easy for you. But that doesn't mean that that should be any cheaper because if the client looks at that and goes, well, that's that's only took, that's only taking you half an hour, you know, I'm only going to pay you half an hour for it. It's clear, That's clearly bonkers. So mm-hmm. actually couching, couching your charging in, in the basis of a creative fee is a far better way of doing it because you're not attaching a time limit to that. You're not saying this is... I'm giving you a day's worth of my time or half an hour. I mean, nobody charges half an hour, but you know what I mean? It's you're not allowing the client to sort of suddenly see you in blocks of time, which makes mm-hmm. it yeah. makes it easier to charge a creative fee and then a usage fee. So have those two things separate. Otherwise you have to go through that awkward conversation where you say, well, it may have taken me 20 minutes to shoot it, but it's taken me 20 years to learn how exactly. to shoot it in 20 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's it. <laughs> Which mean, sound like a bit of an arrogant prick. <laughs> it's I did, I did it's a difficult ago, one, isn't it? I did years ago, get told to slow down on a shoot. Yeah, oh, exactly. Right. And that's, Oh, right. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> Whoa, well, Nelly. How fast are you yeah. going? But that's, on, that's exactly the problem. Oh, yeah, that's exactly the problem. If you're if you're if if you're rattling through something and your client's looking at it and going, "Well, you've done those ten shots. We've still got three hours left. Um, how about you do another eight shots for me yeah. for the same for the same money?" And you're you're you know you've suddenly created a problem for yourself because you're trading time for money on that basis. So a day well, this, rate and this is goes, useful. This goes, yeah, and that also goes back though to having you know, having put a proper estimate with terms and conditions together before a shoot, isn't it? It's another thing that quite often gets overlooked, you know, actually having an agreement in place so that you don't have those awkward conversations on set where a client says, oh, I've just got this other thing that that's, that could you just possibly shoot this as well, even though you know, it's not related to what the yeah. initial agreement was. Yeah, and sometimes absolutely. if you don't have anything in place, you're in a, you're stuck in an awkward position where you're like, well, I could do that, but technically that's a different job yeah. and, mm. you know, uh, needs a different rate yeah absolutely uh, and I th- so i think you know I, th- I i would encourage people to if they're putting quotes together um and they're looking at communicating how they charge and what they do for clients i know clients are really keen to have day rates because as i say that enables comparisons to be made but really i think a day rate is is more useful for us as photographers internally to know that we are covering our overheads and that we need to do two or three days over a month or two or three or two days a week or whatever it might be, depending on how you set your business up um, to, to make sure all of those kind of overheads are met and that we've generated some profit for ourselves as well. So yeah, yeah I think, I think, you know, couching it in the, t- on the basis that you charge a creative fee and a usage fee. And those are two very easy things for a client to understand, you know, I'm paying you here's, here's, here's for your creativity and here's a separate fee for what I'm going to then use that work for, you know. Um, and clearly, if it's broad usage, it's going to be bigger bucks than if it's tiddly usage. Hmm. Well, that's so. That's a great thing for people to 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 again. Another great thing that they can find on the AOP website. So we'll link to that. The last thing I really wanted to kind of go into is we were talking earlier about licensing, and and obviously Google have just released this kind of Google Image licensing. And I guess if we were to discuss the future of where photography is going, the idea that, you know, potentially 
photographers now with social media, you've got an opportunity to build your own audience. If we are kind of breaking away from the traditional models of of editorial um, and moving forward, then maybe the future is in kind of creating your own audiences and being able to just sell direct to consumers and direct to clients. What do you feel is kind of, I mean, obviously Google image licensing is is a positive step in my eyes of the fact that they are actually saying this is, you know, you do your Google image search and it will come up that this image was shot by so-and-so and can be licensed and it will take you to a place where you can then get in contact with them. Whereas previously it was very easy just to kind of rip that image off and get away with using it and probably risk getting um, chased down and sued for copyright, but people were willing to take that risk quite often. Do you think that there are other kind of potential, um, you know, what else is, is, is in line in the future of photography from a positive point of view? Um, are, the big, the, yeah, no, optimistic. yeah, no, there, there are. And I, 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 I tend to agree. I, I, I've got mixed feelings about Google as a business, clearly, along with everybody else. You know, there are um, uh, data usage, data privacy concerns that many, many people will have about what Google knows about us and, and all the rest of it. But, you know, this licensable badge that they've got set up, which um, is uh, pretty much up and running, I think, um, is it, it does seem to be a positive step. The one thing that is not yet connected, which, and I think this is only a matter of time before Google or somebody else sort of uh, pushes this forward as well, is um, making the transaction element of that easy. So you'll all have heard of blockchain as a, as a technology for managing um, uh, information, basically, which exists on lots of different um, um, sort of computers that are all linked together and um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a blockchain expert. I'm not professing myself to be. So, you know, other people will have a much better understanding of how blockchain technology works. But it is being used in um, photography platforms. And there are uh, companies being set up um, alongside, interestingly, alongside um, some of the copyright infringement um, tracking platforms like CopyTrack, for example, um, there's a, a sister company they've got called Consensum, which is a blockchain um, technology company where the idea being is that you can register your work on that platform. It tracks the usage of it and then monetizes the uses, usage of it for you. So the whole idea being that, um, going back to what you were saying, Greg, about sort of, you know, removing the barriers between the, the, the sort of the creators, i.e. us and our potential audience and who we can license the use of our work to, you know, it might be that somebody wants to use one of your pictures in a blog for a week or two. Um, clearly, they're not going to want to pay or to be able to afford to pay five or six hundred pounds, which is what you might have traditionally charged for um, the, the sort of as a, as a level of usage for something. Um, and it's just not worth your while charging them sort of 20 quid because, you know, you're not, it'll cost you more than that in admin time to raise the invoice for it. But if that can all be managed automatically so that somebody clicks, you know, on that image, clicks license, it's all done through, um, managed through blockchain, and then the funds are just dropped into your account automatically, you, you know, suddenly that's a, a huge potential market for, for, for sort of managing um, 
individual small usages of creative work, whether it be, and not just mm. photography, I mean, all sorts of creative work could be managed in that way as well. And it, I, I think there's a, uh, a chap called Jaron Lanier, who was um, uh, a proponent initially, and this is a really interesting sort of side note, I think. Initially, he was a proponent of free. He was one of the original kind of um, everything on the internet should be free to all. And actually, he's come full circle now. And his latest um, writings and musings, which I think you can look him up online, he now realizes that actually that becomes um, self-defeating. If you have everything for free and nobody pays for anything, well, you end up ultimately with nobody making anything because where's the, there's no there's no incentive to keep producing you know you need to be paid to make stuff you know that's a, a primary motivator um and he was i think one of the first people to come up with the phrase micro payments which is essentially what we're talking about with blockchain <laughs> whereby you know it facilitates automatically this kind of mini micro transactions many many times a day perhaps even if you've got a lot of work available a lot of work online a lot you you've got sort of you know it's popping up in all sorts of different platforms i mean this is you know i am talking you know some way in the future and i don't know how fast this is this is likely to happen or not um, or what the final thing even will look like but that to me is where uh, we are headed with with blockchain um with the removal of you know some third parties so particularly for those people that want to sell stock, want to license the use of their work for that purpose. I think that there are some positive, real positive opportunities. You know, you won't have to, you know, uh, use the likes of um, Alamy, um, who have got, you know, their rates are notoriously low um, compared to, and, and let's face it, there's only really Alamy and Getty left in the in the game anyway. You know, Getty have hoovered up pretty much everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you remove the middleman, you know, you get to keep whatever somebody pays you. So, and it's on your terms. So if you if you don't want to play that game on those terms, well, you set your own terms. You know, you, you license the work on your terms. Somebody will either pay you that or they won't. They'll go elsewhere if they don't like it. But suddenly you're connecting, you know, all creators, all photographers directly with the end user, which I think is a really, that's a, that's got to be a positive for me. Hundred percent. I mean, that sounds like a much. That sounds like a system that we need to get sorted. Tom, get on it. I'm, I'm, you must. I'm already yeah, on by, it. By by the end of the week, if you can, Tom. Oh yeah, yeah, that'd be helpful. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that would solve a lot of issues when it comes to. I mean, obviously, it would also create a few issues, but with with the big one now is 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 image usage on social media, and we've discussed this before on on the podcast where brands kind of expect a similar fee because it's oh, it's just for social, but yeah, but you've got three million, four million followers on your social channels versus somebody else using it for social who's got two hundred followers. You know, it, it's not comparable, and yet because it's on the same medium, it's deemed as well it should be a similar cost but it's it's almost irrelevant no i agree i I, i'd be interested on your views on this as well because to me usage on social media for some brands is is above the line i mean it's 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 their only means of of mainstream advertising that they're doing to a um to a non-targeted audience i mean i how else would you describe it you know it's not 
it's not just a bolt-on, which is what it used to be, mm. you know, in the days of social media infancy. Um, yeah, I can see why clients would have thought, oh, we just want to use it on our on our Twitter account or our Facebook page or something. And, you know, they had 300 followers and you kind of, you know, it was no big deal. But for, you know, for a lot of brands, they only exist on on a, on Instagram these days. You know, well, also that. the value of that image is is targeted. You know, with the modern algorithms, it can be targeted to their exact audience. It can be kind of put on at the right time of day to the right mm-hmm. people who are who have got the right amount of disposable income. You can target it so much. Yeah. Compared to a billboard up on Piccadilly Circus. Yeah. You think well, actually, which one is bringing in more <clears throat> new money and new customers? Yeah. So here's here's a, another distinction that I think we can make in terms of particularly in terms of how online usage of work is dealt with, um, I think you can make the distinction between um, passive usage and active usage. So active usage is something that, you know, a client pays for. You know, that's costed in the similar way to um, a billboard or to a digital poster or to out of home or, or any of those other kinds of things. Passive usage, and I think this is where sometimes the client's um, uh, requests for uh, unreasonably long or unreasonable, unreasonably wide uh, groups of usage comes from is that if it's on their Instagram feed, they're not going to be asked to want to go down and find it and delete it after six months or a year. The, the thing is mm. that actually six months to a year later, nobody's going to see it. It's all it's it's going to be right down the bottom, you know. So that's what I would call passive usage. Yes, it's still technically published, but actually. How many people are seeing it? You know, once in a blue moon, somebody might go through the whole feed and find that mm. image um, and look at it. But, you know, and I think that's, I think in future, that's probably how we'll start to deal with this is if mm. a client is actively using it, resharing it, posting it, putting it out on their channels, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. If it's just sitting there and it's not doing anything, do you know what? I don't think it's as much of an issue as. Uh, as, as we need to let it be. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. I agree with that. So, um, I mean, that seems like a really good place to start wrapping it up. And uh, I think there's a lot of food for thought there. Um, but before we go, Nick, we we always like to do our, um, our two things, our Desert Island camera and our Desert Island book. So drum roll, please. What have you got for us this week? Okay, so I've thought quite hard about this. Uh, given that I'm going to be stranded with uh, for an indefinite length of time, presumably with no uh, n- no immediate rescue, I need something to keep you're, me occupied. You're stranded in perpetuity. In perpetuity, absolutely. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> it's an exclusive use, stranding in perpetuity. Good use of that <laughs> word. So the book I'm going to go for is uh, The Photographer's Playbook, um, which is published by Aperture. Um it contains in it uh, 300 and something, I don't know how, exactly how many, um, but 300 and something assignments, 307 assignments and ideas, um, which yeah. I think, although I'm going to be there in perpetuity, I think by the time I've got to the 307th, I'd be ready to sort of start from number one again. Um, and and go through that. And the way that I would make this more of a challenge for myself would be that I want to, I want to pick, I don't really mind what brand actually. I mean, I've shot a lot with Nikon, so I'll probably go with a, 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 something like a Z7 and a standard 
standard prime lens. So, you know, and that's it. As long as I can have a battery charger and a source of power or an unlimited supply of batteries, I'd be good because I need something. I need to be able to review what I'm shooting clearly. Um, it's well, awesome. We did discuss last week. Yeah, we did discuss last week. There is actually a photo lab on the island. Oh, really? Um, okay. So, well, no. Oh, that's all yeah, right. If there's there, a photo there lab. There probably is a charging point. Okay, yeah. right. Scrub there's that a, then. There's a Jessup's on the island. No, no. If there's, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll go. If there's a photo lab, um, I'll have uh, uh, an uh, indefinite supply of ectochrome and um, uh, probably just uh, just a Nikon F3 with a 50 mil. Oh wow! Well, there we go. Solid. That that, that, will, that will do, and then I can and a light Your box. Wish is granted. Can I have a light box, <laughs> a small one? Yes. No, you yeah. can just have the sun and a big sheet of white paper. That'll do. Yeah, there, there we go. <laughs> Brilliant. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for coming on today, Nick. Um, that was a really uh, great chat. If if people want to find out more. Um, obviously, we'll link to the AOP. If people want to look at your five-second um, four seconds journey, four, four, four seconds, second. four seconds. Um, no, I'm I'm raising the challenge. I want you to <laughs> extend it by a second. It's a spin-off. So the four-second journeys. Where where can they find them? Uh, my Instagram feed for that is at underscore Dunmer, which is D-U-N-M-U-R. That's always been the problem with my name is that uh, maybe I should have just called it four seconds of a train journey, but um, they're all tagged with that anyway. So if you if you uh, search on Instagram for four seconds of a train journey, you can find that quite easily. Um, so yeah, it'd be um, that's a little little project of mine that's been ongoing um, up until the twenty third of March or thereabouts. Now temporarily um, on hold, but as you said right at the beginning, um, you know. I'll have to think of another application for that little chunk of time. Well, there we go. Luke, use your playbook. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, Nick, thank you so much for uh, for sharing your time with us. Really appreciate it. You know, you're welcome. It's been uh, lovely to talk to you both. And um, yeah, and you know, I know this is a podcast and not a video, but uh, uh, yeah, it, uh, I'll look forward to the time when we can meet up uh, for real at some point in the future. I'm hoping it All won't right. be too long. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Look forward to drink to that. Hey guys, and thank you so much for listening to the latest episode. If you'd like to stay in touch, there are a number of options for you to uh, reach out. We can be emailed um, at info at exposednegative.com and you can find us on the website at exposednegative.com or on Instagram at xnegative. We're pretty good at responding to DMs on there. And we're also on Twitter at exposednegative. You can find us personally on our own private accounts on Instagram. Uh, Tom is tombarnes.com and I am just Greg Fennell. Cheers. Thanks for listening.